Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team to left center deep god brewers lead it and a swing and a miss he struck him out down the line and that's the ball game good morning brewers fans it's brewers unfiltered episode nine here sophia minner joined with adam mccalvey tim dillard guys a very happy early good morning to you here uh currently it's tuesday morning in milwaukee the brewers just Open up their six-game homestand against the Dodgers. Three-game set against the Dodgers, and then a three-game set against the Kansas City Royals. Guys, it was a big win last night. Now we've got a winning streak. Forget the losing streak. We're just we're we're like going Joey Weimer style. Uh, we're gonna put it in the rearview mirror. It didn't happen. We're not gonna talk about it. There's a two-game winning streak now. They won the series finale in San Francisco. Big win for them last night. Freddie Peralta was great. Um, how are we feeling this morning as we get the week started? I'm good. I'm rejuvenated. Tim, what you missed because you're back home in Nashville now after the road trip is you missed Tom Hodgercourt. I, yeah, on, I saw that. On Monday night, the the, the old, old oh, emphasis on old uh, Milwaukee <laughs> Journal Sentinel beat writer yeah. who, uh, who popped in. And uh, Sophia brought me Phil's. I heard you guys went to Phil's in San Francisco, our favorite coffee shop on the road. And Sophia brought me home a bag of beans. Because so, that's what I mean, it was a great do. day for me, which is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good day for me, too. I got the kids to the school bus and uh, <laughs> and I'm halfway through my coffee cup. So that's I don't ask for much. That's the little things. It's the little things in life. I think maybe the biggest surprise of yesterday was just how Tom was able to surprise all of us. It was like the most stealth operation from. Mike Vassallo and Tom of Tom just loitering in the back of our pregame media session with Craig Council. And then Craig just casually announced that Tom was there. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Yeah, Tom is not known for stealth. So this no. very, and neither is Mike Vassallo. So this was pretty impressive. And then we should probably mention as well, the Brewers did win. They beat the Dodgers, which is a, a good thing. And, um, it was it was a, a needed win, and I would just say it was a big night for Joey Weimer, which is what I wrote about. Not just that he homered and had four RBIs, but I think like the nature of the homer was important for him because his first two were these kind of oppo moonshots, and this one was like pulled, smoked. It's the Joey Weimer that if you watch highlights of him in the minor leagues, it's the guy you saw. It's the power you saw. So for that to come out against Tony Gonsolin, a really good pitcher, A, and B, against a Gonsolin splitter, which is one of the nastiest pitchers in, ba- pitch- pitches 
in baseball was, I think, kind of made it a doubly big deal, um, you know, because they're going to they need that from him. They need some offense from their outfielders. I think it was just good all the way around. I mean, what can what more can you ask from starting pitching when it comes to quality starts? They're doing their job. They did it on the road trip and to watch the bats come alive. I was watching it on TV and I was supposed to be putting my youngest to bed. And I was like, hold on, I got to stay and watch Willie Adamas hit this bomb. (laughs) But my seven-year-old's like, let's go, like, let's go, get me to bed. So I went upstairs, I come back down, and my wife goes, Adamas did hit a home run right when you left the room. I was like, son of a nutcracker. (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. Your kids say, wait, put me to bed, put me to bed. Well, yeah, I got to just make sure I say goodnight. No, the other two are, yeah, two, the oldest ones stay up. But the seven-year-old, we have to keep him on a schedule. But I just but they knew. don't fight it. He's like he's oh, like no. I'm ready to go. Let's go. Yeah, we got to wake him up for school. So wow, my gosh, that's good. Well, great parenting. Hey, when I'm here, you know, I'm full time dad, so <laughs> I got to make sure the kid gets tucked in or whatever. But totally made me miss that home run. But you just felt it, right? You just felt the energy from that team last night. You just knew something was going to happen. Winker draws the walk, the only walk in the game, which was fascinating. Gets on base after Yelich steals, and then. You just knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. You can feel it. So anyway, it was a pretty exciting ball game. Yeah, and I think for Joey, um, to get a multi-hit game, Adam, like you said, the home run, pulling it on a splitter, and then was it later in the seventh inning when they added on even more runs, or sixth or seventh inning, um, the double was on a slider too. And, And that was something that he talked about after the game. He's been very honest about kind of the self-assessment of like that's hit that's been his challenge is hitting off speed and you know he was very matter of fact he's like I'm I've sucked at it so far you know he's those are his words um he's great at those quotes I mean we love the guys that are direct and Joey Weimer <laughs> is definitely direct in his assessment of his offensive performance so far uh, he does not mince words or talk about experience or talk about process but what he also always says is that he'll he, He's done this before. He'll be like, man, I, I really suck right now. And then he'll say, but it's fine. It'll be fine. Like, I, I think his confidence <laughs> level that as he gains experience and just gains at bats, he crossed 100 plate appearances on Sunday in San Francisco, um, which is a big milestone. And I think his feeling is that, like, just as he gets his base under him uh, in the big leagues, it's going to be fine. I don't think he has any doubt that he's going to hit. So it's really interesting. I just I was looking up something else, and um, he Brewers outfielders are uh, if you look at weighted runs created plus, which is the stat we sometimes throw out there, but it's it's basically like a good apples to apples measure of offensive production because it's scaled to a hundred. So the Brewers are ninety one, which means you can see it that they're nine percent below average from their outfielders. The Rays, I think, are first, 140. No, Boston, 150. So they're 50% better than Major League average. So the Brewers are, like, pretty significantly below average. They're at the bottom in offensive production from their outfielders. But if you go war, everybody's favorite stat, they're 11th. And it's because guys like Weimer are playing great defense. So, I don't know, it's just one that jumped out to me to, like, war isn't perfect. We know that. Um but it's like one way to sort of see the full picture of what a, what a player or group of players is doing. And the Brewers are getting really good defense from their outfielders. And that's why Weimer, Craig Council said this last night. That's why Weimer is playing every day. But if the offense comes around, you're talking about a huge boost. Um, 
and something they probably need because, you know, they could use more games like last night where the pitchers don't have to scratch for every out. And I think that was honestly the story of the road trip and the losing streak, right? And it was just a really odd week because it wasn't just the Brewers. It was the entire division that was losing. Um, And so, you know, the streak started with that series finale at home against the Angels, tough series in Colorado, getting swept at Coors Field, dropped the first in San Francisco, and then finally get the win Sunday. And and it really, I mean, the, the pitching, you, you can't really point to a short start um, from the starting rotation. It was just, it was one of those kind of tough stretches across the board. And so um, kind of what did you guys take? We, we know that stretches like that are going to happen in the course of a season. What, what did you guys take away from the stretch and how they were able to get out of it the last couple of days. Well, I'll, I'll go on talking about the road trip, just the road trip. They lose five in a row and five of the four of those were quality starts from the starters. That right there is, you know, you're doing your job. Um, and even the Lauer start, he didn't give up an earned run. It was just an error that every, all of those games they lost, I felt hinged on like one moment. And it wasn't moment that was in the eighth inning or the ninth inning. It was a moment that was in the second or third inning where it was an error or a play that could have been made that completely sent the game in a different direction. Um, and also, and I threw this out there as well, ground ball double plays. They, they grounded into nine double plays. That's not good. I mean, that's you want to, hey, we got something going, and then all of a sudden, boom, double play. And that's tough. And it wasn't just like one guy grounding in a double. It was like the whole, it was like eight different guys grounded into a double play during this stretch. So to me, when you're starting to look at like, okay, what were they doing? It was just a couple of moments that didn't go their way that just happened to be right back to back to back to to make it, you know, a losing streak. But for the most part, there was some good stuff in there. The starting pitching was was nails. Well, it's not satisfying as a fan to say credit to the Rockies in particular. That was uh, I wasn't in San Francisco, full disclosure. But in that Rockies series, the Rockies did to the Brewers what the Brewers have been doing to everybody else, yeah. which is beat them with defense. And um, credit to like Harold Castro, their second baseman, um, Tovar, the, that short. To- yeah, My the goodness. rookie, the rookie shortstop. He was the Rockies' top prospect until like a day before the Brewers got to town, and then he graduated like Garrett Mitchell did for the Brewers earlier this year. Um, to me, what stood out is on the just on the road trip, sub 700 OPS. They didn't um, give those pitchers any breathing room. They just didn't score enough. And it, it sometimes it's as simple as that. And I think that was a, a big part. And look, I, I, the Rockies defense in Colorado, at least, played a huge part in that because a couple of those games could have been very different if the Rockies didn't make one great play. But that's baseball. And look, that's been Brewers baseball this season. That's how they get off to that great start. Yeah, over over the losing streak, um, six games, they scored just 14 runs. And something we talked about, too, was like just the lack of extra base hits, to your point, Adam, with the OPS. It was only three home runs, and those three home runs were all solo shots that came in the third loss to Colorado. Um, that's just, you know, not – not typically how this offense operates. And and overall the pitching was pretty good. It was a 459 earned run average um as a team for that for that losing streak. So um but now they've won the last two games and and it's just it was a weird week because the Brewers had lost 6 in a row. The Pirates ended up losing 7 in a row at the top of the division. 
the Cardinals had their eight-game losing streak going all at the same time, and Craig Council pointed out, too, like if they're – you can't really figure out why that happens, right, of just why every team in the division is going through a stretch like that. But he also pointed out that none of it was happening within the division. And so maybe this is a product of the balanced schedule, right, of the new interleague schedule that – all of this was happening outside of the division. So despite that streak, the Brewers actually ended up picking up a game and they're still just one half game out of first place. So like, that's just the most baseball thing ever, you know, make that make sense. Well, it, yeah, it's to me, it's a couple of things. It's, it's wild. Mostly it, it all, it, to me, it shows you this whole last week or 10 days or whatever. You drive yourself crazy when you look at the schedule, like going into the season, and you look at segments of the schedule and think, oh, well, that's a position where the Brewers are going to win a bunch of games, or here's a tough stretch and things like that. It, the game never plays out that way. It never is as simple as that. Like it maybe isn't when you look at an NFL schedule and you can sort of predict with better accuracy what's going to happen in each segment. Like the Brewers' early season schedule was absolutely brutal, and they got off to this great start. And then they hit the stretch where you think, oh, well, you know, maybe they pick up some games. They have that long homestand against the American League teams, including the Tigers. And maybe they pick up some games on that homestand. And then they go to Colorado, a team that's really down. And it, it, it happens exactly opposite of the way you think. So I don't know. I, I've, I've totally stopped trying to look at the schedule and figure out, like, what's going to happen in a certain segment. Well, with the win last night over the Dodgers, the Brewers are now 13 and 7. Uh, they have a 13 and 7 record against teams with a record of 500 and above. So, again, <laughs> maybe they play their best against the best teams. We don't know. That's just how it's gone so far. But uh, we've got a lot more to talk about. A couple of big returns for the crew uh, over the past week. So, when we come back here on Brewers Unfiltered, we'll take a look at some of the big players that have come back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We're back on Brewers Unfiltered, Sophia, Adam, and Tim. And guys, a couple couple returns here um, over the last week. Let's start with Adrian Hauser. He had been waiting, waiting, waiting <laughs> to finally get in there. Um, after over a week. Um, so it had been the right groin strain for him. Started on the IL, made the four rehab starts with Nashville. And then over a week later, he finally got to take the mound on Sunday for that series finale. And overall, a pretty good outing for Adrian, considering it had been over a week for him. He ended up going four and two-thirds, just two earned runs, one walk, five strikeouts for him uh, in his return against the Giants. So just, you know, again, we've talked about you can't replace a Brandon Woodruff, right? But they've got Colin Ray, who's made a handful of starts now. Now you get Adrian Hauser back in the mix. When we talked to Craig yesterday at the start of the Dodgers series, we don't know necessarily what the next steps or next appearances are for Colin Ray and Adrian Hauser. Um, but overall, like to get Hauser back 
whether it's in the rotation or in the pen, what do you think that does for their depth for the time being? I think Hauser looked fantastic. You look at just the stat line, you may go, well, he only went four plus. He was a victim of not just pitch count, but the fact that the Brewers had just, they'd lost a bunch of games in a row and they had a lead and they were going to throw everything they had to make sure they could get and keep the lead and get it to Devin Williams. So that right there was probably the reason he didn't go five. Um, But Hauser looked good. All of his hits were singles. Early on, it was ground balls. And you could tell that the Giants were like, okay, we got to get a ball in the air. So then they started hitting weak (laughs) pop-ups. But it was, he was in command. And what I really liked is the fact that he just, I don't know, he just kept pitching his game. There's so many times where he would get a couple of singles off of him and then he would try something new. He would go to a four seam up in the zone or something like that. But he stuck true to his game, got a double play in the first inning. Um, And what I really loved is the strikeouts. He had five strikeouts. He didn't really strike out a ton of guys, but four of those were looking, which that tells me as a pitcher, it's like he's doing his work early, setting guys up the right way to the point where they're not even looking to what he's throwing. And it's just a heater right by you. Um, And I think when you look at the scouting report, they were like, okay, this is what his patterns are. These are his sequences. So for me, looking really in-depth, Hauser looked great. I hope he stays in the rotation, honestly. I think he has a chance to really flourish uh, with the way the the shift has been restricted. And uh, anyway, his his velo looked good, too. So I don't know. I thought Hauser did a fantastic job. Tim, why do you think he would flourish with the with the shift being restricted? Because I think most people would think about that the other way, that that favored pitchers. Exactly. So one thing it, it is really tough to measure is just, okay, this guy's in the ability to get the ball on the ground. Hauser has a huge ground ball rate. Last year, what I saw is he got ground balls that should have been double plays, and yet it wasn't. And it's some fantastic play where a guy catches the ball and gets the guy out at first. So they don't get the lead runner, but since they got an out, they rule that as a win. Like, hey, this shift works. It didn't work. Not for sinker guys, not for guys that get the ball on the ground. It's about double plays. Last year, Adrian Hauser in 100 innings only had nine ground ball double plays. You go the year before that, 140 innings, he had 18 ground ball double plays. The shift doesn't help him. It just doesn't. And I think the way it's limited, it's almost it's going to play into his favor just because it's going to allow him to get more outs, the good outs, whether it's not a double play. They're going to get the lead runner because they have some dude standing by second base. (laughs) They don't have someone in right field and then someone else that, you know, is playing in the outfield as well. You got five outfielders, I feel like, when he pitches. So anyway, I think that's going to play right into his hand. I think um, you look at someone like Logan Webb or even Alex Cobb the other day, just everything that's on the ground able to get the lead runner or a double play, uh, it really helps the ground ball guys. We're doing this on Zoom. Did you pull those ground ball numbers from your brain, or are you looking at your screen? No, I pulled them from my brain. I was in the booth my on the road goodness. trip, man. Yeah, I had to I mean, learn some of this stuff. That's like two yeah. days ago at this point. Oh, yeah, well, no. Uh, actually, I didn't know if I was ever going to get a chance to fill in for Rock again after they lost five straight. <laughs> <laughs> so those numbers are burned in your yeah, brain forever. they're burned. They're seared. I, I was like, you know what? If, if even one top person um, in the organization is even a medium-stitious, they're like, you know the reason. It's Dylan <laughs> filling in for Rock in the booth. <laughs> so anyway, hopefully I'll be on another road trip this year. We'll see. I mean, yeah, we don't keep stats or anything, but... 
<laughs> we are definitely going to do a head-to-head Vinny and Tim road trip yeah. record. Just like we do with Vasalo and Grumman. It's okay. I mean, we, oh, yeah, we keep absolutely. track of everything around here. I'm not doing great. Not doing too hot. <laughs> um, you know, Sophia, you, just while we're on that, you mentioned Brandon Woodruff by name. He played catch yesterday, which is on Monday, I should say, for whenever people are listening, which is look a, um, a step forward for him in his comeback. So they hope... Um, you know, he's got a long way to go, but end of June they're looking. But look, progress for him, which is good. And, yeah, I found it interesting that that Craig Council did leave it totally open-ended with Colin Ray and Adrian Hauser of which guy is going to either bounce down. in the Well, Ray, you could send down. Hauser, you can't. Hauser, you'd have to just pitch out of the pen if he's not going to be starting. Um, they wanted to leave their options open there, which is fine. I mean, they, uh, they the way they wanted to operate this year – is to have like six or seven guys that are in this pool of starters. And then you obviously have your main guys who are going to go every fifth day, but they wanted to be able to have some flexibility with one of those spots to either make a decision based on matchups or use the extra guy when they're in a stretch of games where it makes sense to bump everybody and give them that extra day. So having Adrian Hauser pitching well would be a big boost uh, for this team because he could be that extra guy. Um, And you know, we've talked about how Colin Ray has kind of held his own when he's been in there. So having those those numbers, I, I would say, is in terms of personnel, is something that's really important to what they're trying to do. Yeah, and, and they're also just trying to take advantage of the schedule, right? Like through that road trip and then coming back here, it's a stretch of nine straight games. The team is going to be off Thursday. Um, and then they've got another off day the following week. So it's a pretty short stint here uh it'll just be six games in between the off days but then coming out of that they're gonna have another long stretch so I think that's where they're trying to you know when they can give guys that extra day um when they can get a six man in there I think that's all that's all good for them um and it wasn't just Adrian Hauser Tyrone Taylor came back in the Colorado series as well it was great to see Tyrone back and he just made his presence known right away he threw out two runners at home in that series, two terrific defensive plays. And now he's starting to heat up at the plate. Um, He had, let's see here, in his last four starts, he's hitting over 300. He's got five hits already. So Tyrone's starting to find his timing at the plate. But what that does for the outfield, I think, is, is huge because Tyrone was a guy that they counted on a lot last year. He played in 120 games. It was starts at all three outfield spots and... I mean, Tyrone's just—you can plug him in anywhere. Well, I think. Well, I, oh, uh, oh, go ahead. No, you go. go, Tim. You. No, I'll go. I'll, you know, you go. <laughs> okay, because what I think is, I agree with everything you just said, Sophia. He, for me, he was probably penciled in as the uh, opening day right fielder if he didn't have the elbow injury. I don't know if that's right or wrong. That's how I was kind of projecting it. But I think where he <clears throat> could be really important is. One of the Brewers' big problems is against left-handed pitching. And it is, I think we're, we're deep enough in to think that this could be a problem again this year because it's been a problem the last two seasons. In 2020, they were a top 10 team against lefties. Remember Jed Jerko hitting uh, left-handed pitching at a high clip? Um, but since then, they've really struggled against that. And it's one of their Achilles heels. And last year, it was to the point where you saw the Cardinals pick up left-handed starting pitching at the trade deadline as they were chasing Milwaukee. And I wonder if this persists this year, whether we're going to see teams do the old Joe Madden, where every time the Brewers played the Cubs, you knew Jose Quintana or, or whatever lefties they had were going to be pitching in that series. 
it could get to that point with some of the in-division teams when they, they can sort of plan around when those series are coming. So one of the problems for Craig Council with that is what do you exactly do about it? Because you've got the guys you've got. And he made that point to us when we were asked about this in Colorado. And they just happen to have players who have these reverse splits. Brian Anderson, Willie Adamas, uh, Keston Hira over the last two years. And maybe one of the reasons that you know he's not up here already now is that he's not a guy who, who statistically will help them against lefties. Luke Voigt has always been that guy and is really struggling against uh, lefties this year. So they just happen to have these right-handed hitters who don't have the splits you'd expect where normally the opposite-handed hitter is better against, in this case, the righty hitter against better against the lefty pitcher. And it's something that, you know, I don't know that there are easy answers to, but I do know that Tyrone Taylor is the type of right-handed hitter who can do damage against lefties. His career numbers are like uh, kind of balanced, but better against lefties, which is a start. Owen Miller is a guy who's better against lefties, so he's an important player for them. But I, I just point this out because I think this is one of the, when you look at the big picture of this Brewers team, on the road trip, 50 plate appearances against lefties. They had 11 hits against lefties, 12 total bases. So it's like they were, they were singles hitters against left-handed pitching. And when you look at the season, the Brewers are 6-10 OPS against lefties, which is 30th in baseball. So I think Tyrone Taylor could be uh, an important bat just as they see lefties moving forward. Well, I would say that, I mean, Tyrone Taylor added to that outfield. Joey Weimer's just, you know, Covering so much ground out there. We saw Yelich on a great play in left field last night against the Dodgers. Tyrone Taylor's just going to fit right in. And you were wondering like, okay, well, what's this going to look like? And out of the gate, back-to-back games, he throws someone out at the plate. And, and he almost, almost did it, did it a third, third time. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> the wrong the, guy on base. Yeah, it was, they, they uh, pinch ran Daza, I think, right? So he ended up scoring. But uh, that's immediate, you know, immediately he made an impact. He already has a home run. He's got those five hits, but he also has stolen two bases. And to me, he just brings that spark. He's, you know, just like Weimer. Weimer has stolen bases and he'll throw people out and he'll catch a ball and go through a wall. And to me, that's what you want from a team. You want a team that's uh, at any moment could change the game with their glove, their arm or their bat. Tyrone Taylor's that kind of player. And I mean, I, I, you were always we were we were wondering okay what's his arm going to look like you know what's his back going to look like uh, and he came back and I, he's ready uh, he's he's solidified himself already I think the only time he's not going to be out there is if someone needs a day off uh, in one of the other positions and Brian Anderson has to play right field but for right now you got to have him out there he's just he looks too good right now yeah and I was talking to Quentin Barry about that is in his opinion, you know, working with all the outfielders, Tyrone is the one that has the most accurate arm. You know, for as much as we talk about Joey and all the ground he covers and, you know, the brick wall running into the padded wall, Tyrone Tyrone is the the smoother, right? Like he's kind of like that classic smoother, gr- more graceful um, outfielder. But those throws that he made, I mean, those are, those are runs off the board, right? And for as much as they're going to count on their defense – but he said Tyrone, and, and that was something that Tyrone worked a lot on, and he talked about that with us in Colorado, was, you know, hitting was more of the issue than throwing, but there were times that he would feel that elbow throwing, and so it really forced him to clean up the the throwing mechanics. Yes, outfielders have throwing mechanics too, just like pitchers. And 
And so that was something that I think made him better. And Quentin Berry said that too, that he's got a great arm. He probably has the most accurate arm of any of the outfielders. And so it was great to see Tyrone come up and have an impact right away. You know, just to add to that, Sophia, because you asked him a question when we were in Colorado about, he was talking about the elbow and and how it's better. And sometimes it's still there. And you asked him, are you eventually going to need surgery to clean that up? Uh, Or it's going to be more than a cleanup, it sounds like. And he said, I don't know the answer to that question. And I don't, I didn't get the sense that he cares about the answer to that question right now. He seems like a guy who's out there and he is just kind of like, living every moment on the baseball field because it was denied to him for so long. And that's what stood out to me is kind of how grateful he is to be in a position to play and how, um, you know, look, players see what's going on around them. He sees uh, the the freshmen and these young outfielders who came up. And now obviously Garrett Mitchell is out, but, but he's part of the Brewers' long-term plans. And I think Tyrone Taylor is in a position where he's just kind of leaving it all on the field, that cliche. And, um, it was a that stood out to me a lot when we when we spoke to him. Yeah, I thought that was a, a great moment. Sorry to interrupt. I to your your point with the elbow. He comes back from an elbow injury and he throws that guy at the plate, and you could see the entire team. Adamas waited on the field the the whole time until Tyrone Taylor came in and high fived him, and he went down the dugout. Everybody got up. Everybody was high fiving. That's a big moment for a player. You miss that much time. You you know stuff's going on. You don't know how you're going to fit in. Where's your impact? And immediately has that impact, and everyone knew about it. So like that right there is moments that you love as a team, as a teammate, and as players because you're going through it with him a little bit, and you know what he overcame right there. So I, I watched him and Joey play catch one day in Colorado, and it was just. It was impressive. <laughs> I was like, there's some good arms out there. Anyway, they overthrew each other a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Tyrone is definitely one of the more, one of the most positive guys, I think, in this clubhouse. And he does it in a in a more, like, maybe quiet, subdued way. But he is, like, positivity all the time. Um, so it's great to see him back. Um, Owen Miller also had a great trip, and that was somebody that we saw a lot, Adam, as you were talking about the left-handed pitching matchups. Owen had a great trip, uh, four hits for him. He was hitting over 360. Bryce Terang is starting to heat up a little bit now, a six-game hitting streak. Um, and they've they've given great defense as well. I mean, what do you what do you think about what they've done in the middle of the field? Well, look, we've said this before. Uh, Bryce Terang, when he's on the field, if you're at the game, spend an inning or two just zeroed in on Bryce Terang because he is really, really fun to watch on the baseball field when he's playing defense. And I'll just say about Owen Miller, um, like you look at the, again, this this lefty issue is something that I just zeroed in on during that trip. <clears throat> Owen Miller is a guy who's mashing lefties. And Mike Brasso will be that guy. Like history set tells you that Mike Brasso will mash lefties by the time that this year is done, but he's not done it early on. And I think it's made Miller like just a a really important presence against lefty pitching. We're in small sample territory here. It's still 27 plate appearances, but 824 OPS. That's what you want. You want those OPSs in the eights when you're playing those platoon matchups. And it gives uh, Terang a little spell because Terang's, however old he is, he's not going to like get worn out playing in the field. 
But I mean, if you think mentally about what Bryce Terang and Joey Weimer are going through every day, it's information overload because they're seeing all these major league pitchers for the first time. It's great stuff that's coming. I mean, Tony Gonsolin yesterday, that is not a fun matchup for a hitter. That is nasty stuff. And they're dealing with that every day. And I think mentally, as much as anything, it's really important to have a break here and there. Now, Weimer hasn't have it. They just don't personnel. They need him out there. But uh, for Terrain to kind of get a, a day here and there and, and hit the reset button, I, I think that's part of what's, you know, I think I, I think that's probably important for those young guys. Owen Miller's approach is really good. It Everything is up the middle. You can read his swing when he takes pitches, and he likes to swing. He likes to put the ball in play. Um, and he only has seven strikeouts. So if he's a, he's almost like a safe bet. When he's out there, he plays above average defense. If you could put him at third or second, you can put him in right field if you have to. Uh, plays above average defense, and he's just not going to strike out a ton. He's going to put up a good at bat. And where he's the best is he can shoot it as good as anybody up the middle. Like he, I feel like he could do that on any pitch, lefty or righty, but he is crushing lefty. So he'll probably be out there against every lefty for the foreseeable future. He was honored yesterday. Sophia and I saw our friends at the Lakeshore Chinooks up in uh, Owen Miller. This is the longest we've ever talked about Owen Miller, not mention that he's from Wisconsin. I, by the way, that's, <laughs> oh, that's he's the law Glenn. that we have to mention wow, that every time. That. Yeah. So, yeah, him and uh, Brian Anderson are, are uh, alums of the Lakeshore Chinooks, and they came by on Monday and left him a little Hall of Fame plaque and a bobblehead in their likeness. So, Tim, you're not the only one with a bobblehead in his likeness. Yeah. Wow, that's okay. <laughs> I've had more bobbleheads since I retired than I did when I played. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but yeah. <laughs> and a big bobblehead coming up for you this weekend, Tim. Yeah, Uke Skywalker. You know what? That was the funnest part about being in the booth on the road trip is reading the promos. I take those so seriously and to heart. But the Star Wars ones, Levering's up there like, what are you going to do this time, Timmy? What are you going to do? <laughs> are you going to do a voice? Are you going to use Yoda's voice? Um, are you going to drop a May the 4th be with you? What are you going to do? So that's what I got to read. The Uke Skywalker bobblehead. A ticket package. <laughs> you could get that bobblehead. Yeah. Go to Brewers.com slash tickets. Yeah, I know it all. And that will be coming up this Saturday at American yeah. Family Field. If you're not already planning on coming. But um, all right, guys, we've got uh, more to get to here on Brewers Unfiltered. When we come back, we'll put a bow here on episode nine. Brewers Unfiltered. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Sophia, Adam, and Tim back with you here on Brewers Unfiltered. And guys, we've been following the, the freshman series. It's been a lot of great content going back to spring training as we've gotten to know some of the prospects. And just yesterday, if you haven't seen it yet, on the Brewers um, social platforms and on YouTube, there was another fun little mini episode with the freshman of 
some never before seen mic'd up content with the guys. So definitely worth checking out from from Garrett Mitchell and Joey Weimer and Bryce Terang and Sal Freelich. Uh, get to know them a little bit better. But coming up in a few weeks, we're also going to get to know the Brewers' top prospect, Jackson Churio, who's currently in double-A. Um, and look, Jackson just, he, we've talked a lot about him, 19 years old. Uh, he's got star written all over him. He had a fantastic season last year, working his way up to the Timber Rattlers. And now he's with Biloxi. So far for him on the season, he's hitting 255. The OPS for him is 667. He's got three homers and 18 RBIs in AA with the Biloxi Shuckers. And Adam, you've written a lot about Jackson. We've gotten to talk with him a little bit. I think fans are going to really enjoy getting to see him on the freshman and just learn more about him. Um, but what, what do you think that we can expect from Jackson and what's happening with his AA season? Well, unfortunately, what you can expect is that I sat with our illustrious producer on this podcast, Ezra Siegel, is also one of the point people on that documentary series. And uh, I sat in front of the camera yesterday, which is super unfortunate because I feel like I sort of like am taking the Sophia role from the first three episodes and you're so good at that and I'm so not great, not good. But here's one thing that we actually talked about during that that session, which I think is relevant. So we'll tease a little bit. We'll see if uh, Ezra uses this in the, in the documentary. This is something I don't think that Brewers officials will say, um, but I think it's just true in general of player development. It's okay when a, a prospect, the caliber of Jackson Churio, coming off a year like he had in 2022, where he just shot through all these levels and had success at every single one of them. It's perfectly acceptable if they struggle a little bit in the follow-up. And not that a... a player development person would root for one of their players to struggle, but it's part of development, I think, because it happens to everybody. It happens to peak Christian Yelich. It happened to Ryan Braun. It happens to Mike Trout. It happens to Shohei Otani, even if it doesn't look like it. You go through these valleys that are feel just as um, never ending as your peaks. We watched it with Willie Adamas over the last couple of weeks before he busted out for a couple of home runs. And, and we, he talked about how uh, tough that can be and you take it home with you. And how you get through that as a player is part of what makes great players. And for a prospect to just breeze through the minors and sometimes they can come up. And I think it just, I hope listening to me, people can think of examples in recent Brewers history where this has maybe happened. If you struggle for the first time ever in the major leagues, that is a different animal than if you struggle struggle at Double A Biloxi. For Jackson Churio, Double A Biloxi feels like the big leagues because it's the biggest stadiums, it's the best uh, op- opponents, the best talent he's ever been surrounded by. So it feels like a really big deal, but it's not as big a deal as if you come up and have that happen in the big leagues. So there is some development value, I think, in having a guy go through some of that. Tim, you probably saw that with players. Maybe it happened to yourself as you're coming up where you I'm sure you feel like you learn from from the low points. Well, it's the maturity and the experience, you know, that every every level you go to, you have to figure out what is different about this and how does my game factor in. I remember when I got the double A, the you know, pitchers used to hit 
Remember back then? Yeah, back <laughs> in the olden days. Yeah, so I batted like over 300 in the first half as a pitcher because I'm like, I always think I knew what every pitcher was thinking out there. They're like, don't walk this guy. Throw the ball right down the middle. He's a pitcher. And I had been recently a position player in college, so I was like, yeah, serve it up here, buddy. <laughs> had me a home run, maybe a double or two, just crushing the ball. So the second half rolls around, and you could just tell everybody was like, I feel comfortable throwing to pitchers now. So here's my curveball. Here's my slider. <laughs> Suddenly I'm batting, you know, 0.004 or 5. But um, you have to figure out the league. And the league will you'll, – you'll know when you figure it out. I think Cheerio, when he is coming through at 19, you know, you, you don't really – haven't seen a lot in that regard. You're trying to experience it. And he only, did, you know, dipped his toe in the water in AA last year and didn't have great success. So – what is it? What's he doing right? When's the time to move him up? And they need to see how he struggles and bounces back. If you just breeze through the minor leagues and you never have a problem, you have nothing to figure out when the tough times come. If you go straight to the big leagues, you may have success for a while, but then there's going to be a tough time. And for me, the most recent one is, has to be Keston Hira. Uh, I played against him in the minor leagues, and I felt like every time he swung the bat, it was an extra base hit. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter where you threw it. I'm pretty sure he's one of those guys that Somehow he goes to swing and he just go-go gadget arms could hit a ball a foot off the plate down the line and never struggled. And you get to the big leagues and he had success and then eventually struggled because eventually you're going to catch up and you have to get over that hump and what that looks like. And you, like you said, higher ups, they want to see not the struggle. They want to see how you react to the exactly. struggle. They want to yep. see how you bounce back. Uh, because they know because of that, you're going to be you're going to have that experience for next time. And it, it helps mature you as a player. And he has great people around him there, as Sophia can attest oh, yeah. to as well. Mike Guerrero is a great manager to have to, to lead a player through that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, he's got a good support staff down there in Bloxy. And one other thing I'll just say, this maybe goes without saying, you know, and this came up just in our my chat with Ezra yesterday for, for the documentary series. Um, it was actually Ezra kind of who pointed it out. In addition to learning all the baseball, this is a kid uh, from Venezuela who's learning the language and the culture. And you think about his year last year. It's from the Dominican complex to Arizona to Carolina to Appleton, Wisconsin to Biloxi, Mississippi. I mean, he's, he's, he's learning the United States of America in addition to learning all this baseball and all the cultural things and all the language barrier that he's, that he's fighting through on his way to the field every day. And um, it's a lot to, to process. And I think it's just worth acknowledging that uh, for him as a 19 year old kid who grew up in Venezuela, that is a big part of his learning curve. And, and I think it's why when you talk to Eduardo Brizuela is, is in the Brewers player development um apparatus and, and you get to see a lot of him in that documentary series which is great because he is so vital to the uh, you know the, the the development of all of those those kids and loves all those kids so much when you ask him what coming into this year what do you want to see what is at the top of Jackson Churio's agenda and I expected it to be something like plate discipline or consistency or something like that and for Eduardo um, it was it was English it was improve your English because we've seen, again, in that documentary series, part of what I think has made Mitchell, Weimer, Freelich, we saw Tyler Black, uh, some of the other prospects who appeared in that series, 
what's made them good is that they're all in this together. That's that was part of it for like Fielder Weeks, Hardy Hart, that that group too. And for Jackson, like communicating with those guys is going to be super critical. So I think that's part of what he's learning too. So I, I just I thought that was really interesting and I'm glad that we kind of touched on it in that in that series. So when that when that uh when the Churio episode comes out, it'll be later this month. Hopefully I don't ruin it because I think it'll be really interesting for people to sort of get a, a better glimpse into what this guy's all about and, and just how much he has going on in his life right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so important to recognize too. Like, I mean, just everything that you just said of what his last year was like, oh, and by the way, he played in the Futures game. Oh, and by the yeah. way, he rose up. I mean, just shot up these prospect rankings, right? Now you have all this attention around you as being – the top prospect in baseball. I mean, the Brewers have, I mean, it's, it's, this is a unique spotlight for a really young kid who's navigating a lot just on his own. His family's in Venezuela. They're able to come up sometimes and see him. Um, his brother also plays baseball, his brother, Jason, and I, and getting to talk to him. It's like, even when seeing him in the, in the Cactus League games, when we get to see him, He's he's got a presence like he's got great energy. He's a great personality Um, talking to him. I I sat down with him for the series as well. And his favorite player that he loves to watch is Julio Rodriguez. And so it's like if you can imagine like if you watch Julio at all, like that's the kind of player that Jackson wants to be and can be and certainly has the talent to be. Um, And I think as he gets more comfortable here, as he takes on the language and all of that. Um, I think we're going to get to see more of that. And he could, I think fans will love him. So I'm, I'm really excited for fans to get a chance to, to see that coming up. And Adam, I am very much looking forward to your part because I know you're going to be excellent. Um, oh, so yeah, do yeah. not do not sell yourself short on, uh, on the upcoming piece on Jackson Cheerio. But um, as it pertains to the Major League team, They've got the Dodgers here, the Royals over the weekend, and then we're going to be road tripping again, visiting the Cardinals for the first time, and then the Tampa Bay Rays, um, and coming back, and then it's the defending World Series champions, the Houston Astros. Some so, some really intriguing matchups coming up here for the team. What what series jump out to you of what's coming up? I'll jump in. I'll, I mean, to me, this the St. Louis Cardinals series is is going to be really interesting the Cardinals are a hot mess <laughs> and it doesn't mean they're going to stay that way for the rest of the year because they're a pretty talented team. When you talk about a team with Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado, they're, they're dangerous, but right now they are a, uh, a, a pretty big mess. And, and they, they made this big splash, a very un-Cardinals move by signing Wilson Contreras to a five-year deal uh, to replace Yadier Molina. And it has not worked and they've removed him from catching for the foreseeable future. And when you read about it, um, you know, it's he's not connecting with the pitchers. That word connectedness we use so much on, on our podcast talking about what Craig Council tries to do with the Brewers. It's not happening with Wilson Contreras and the Cardinals. So he's going to be a DH, a very expensive DH for a while as they try to figure out how to reconnect him with the pitchers and get their team uh, going. I would not count the Cardinals out if I were a Brewers fan. I think, like I said, they're very talented, and we've seen that this division can be pretty volatile as the Brewers go on a road trip and go 1-5 and and gain a game. 
It's just not what you expect. Uh, so I, I think they are, they're still dangerous, even though they're way down right now. Um, but that's a series I'm just, I'm curious to see just what the Cardinals look like in person when the Brewers get there and, and play them head to head. I'm kind of looking forward to the Royals series. I know some of the, the coaches on the coaches staff, uh, Mitch Stetter, I think is out in the bullpen, former uh, Brewer wrong hander coming out of the bullpen, my buddy. So that'll be fun. Alex Zumwalt, another guy. Uh, that's on that staff, but I don't know. I always like looking at the rosters for when it comes to, you know, the standings. Like, I I don't know. I don't have that part of the brain that says the standings part of it. I just want to see the guys play. You know, when the Angels came to town, you wanted to see Trout, Otani. Yeah. Uh, and it's about who you know on the club. <laughs> Honestly, I love talking to these guys and hearing their stories. So uh, for me, I just kind of want to, I kind of want to see the Royals roster and, and talk to some of those guys I know. I mean, I think... Adam, I know. Well, actually, I don't know. I shouldn't speak. I don't know if you're on this trip. Will you be going to the trough? Hey, DJ Kitty trip. That's what I was just going to say. I was like, if anything, you'll travel to go see DJ Kitty at the trap. But I mean, the Rays, it's like, how do I'm just intrigued to see how they're winning all these games. They're sitting on 29 wins on the season. They've won eight of their last 10s. I mean, they only have seven losses. Like, I'm just intrigued. It's like another, you know, I think at, at first we're like, oh, it's a hot start. And now we're almost into the middle of May (laughs) and they still have single digit losses and they've had some injuries that they've had to deal with. But I mean, even just looking at like the American League East, like those standings are probably surprising as well. You've got the Yankees 10 games back of the Rays. I think that's maybe almost just as surprising as the Cardinals being 10 games back in the NL Central. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but um, I'm just I'm curious to see how the Rays are winning all these games. And if you can take a series against them, I think you've you've got to be feeling pretty good about yourself. So that's going to be a really intriguing road trip to me. I love the trop, too, just because it's different uh, to me. Like the stadiums are all so nice now, mostly. Uh, and they kind of bleed into one another. But the trot when you get there, it's like, oh, this is different. <laughs> so we'll all learn about the rings. Are you who's who's on TV for that one? Who has to know all about the rings? Yeah, not me. That's uh, Vinny. <laughs> Vinny's going to be on there. Vinny will be the expert on the uh, B ring or whatever, C ring, o, whatever they call them. That'll be fun. I think we're just going to bring you on, Adam, as a special guest to <laughs> To deliver. talk about DJ Kitty? Yes. <laughs> I'm telling you, I love DJ Kitty. I think it is an awesome ma- mascot and... Um, I mean, I'm, you know, if the, the Brewers, so the, we need to have the Brewers have a lead going into like the late innings so that then, because D, DJ Kitty is like the rally kitty, then that we'll get to see DJ Kitty on the, uh, maybe I'll bring my onesie, my DJ Kitty onesie and wear it in the press box. I was just going to say, we have proof of the onesie. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, they um, used to do that. They used to play the, the DJ Kitty video or something like that in, yeah. uh, in double A as far back as. 2006, I want to say. Um, that was a double A for the Rays, I thought. Maybe I'm wrong. I can't remember now. Um, but anyway, yeah, like they would uh, do that as like the rally thing. And it was my favorite part of, about going to Montgomery to play the Biscuits. Well, and the Biscuits, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the Biscuits. Oh, my God. All right, guys. Uh, stat of the week. What do we got? Tim, take it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to go... Uh, I'm nervous. Um, 38. Okay, 38. Brewers have 38 home runs, I believe. 
Was it 38? I think so. Uh, they had 28 solo home runs, and they still do. And it, at one point, they only had six home runs with guys on base. And then their last four home runs they've hit have all been with runners on base. So to me, that is a huge difference. Yes, they're hitting home runs. They need people to be on base when they do it. And now it's starting to happen. So anyway, to me, to double that in two games, almost double that in two games is is pretty big deal. Uh, my set of the week is three, which is the layers that Joey Weimer blew through while sliding home in the ninth <laughs> inning on Sunday in San Francisco. Uh, he's everything this guy does. Uh, uh, Craig Council, you know, had it. Uh, whatever. It's the opposite of smooth. It's hard and violent and fun to watch. So he slides home so hard that he tore a gigantic hole through his uniform pants, through the tights that he wears underneath his uniform pants, and a layer or two or three of skin underneath that. And had to do a quick pants change before he was able to go back out to the outfield. And uh, I don't know. To me, it was... uh, you guys talked about it on the air. It was very good. And it was emblematic of the way Joey Weimer plays baseball. Yeah, the guy's a blunt instrument, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It doesn't have to look good, but you can't take your eyes off of him. It's 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 captivating. It's one of those things that, like, you know, watching the game, you don't really notice. Sometimes a guy might, like, slide and tear his pants and go in and change, and you never even really see it. But I So I asked, like, does that happen very much? And the answer was no. Like, for that big a hole, that many layers all at once, that was a rare occurrence. And I heard that it was, uh, he made some good faces when they sprayed him with the Bactine or whatever they use, like the antibacterial stuff. Uh, didn't look like it. From Teammates said it didn't look like it was very fun. Yeah, it looked painful when we saw Joey after the game. Um, I mean, it, that thing, it was bright red it looked like it was about the size of a baseball uh it just yeah it was violent it was a violent slide at home plate um we'll have to check in with him on how how the skin is healing <laughs> um i my, can tell you what his answer is going to be it's going to be good or fine fine yeah exactly <laughs> and then he'll stare at you <laughs> <laughs> it'll be yeah he'll be like it'll be fine it'll be fine or he'll be like not good <laughs> yeah you won't get more than two words yeah, um, hey, Joey's just very efficient, you know? He doesn't have time to waste here. Yep. Mine is um, not as fun as uh, Joey's three layers of skin, but 231 is Wade Miley's earned run average. And um, I'm excited about tomorrow, so that'll be Wednesday, the series finale, because it's going to be Wade Miley and Clayton Kershaw, and Wade Miley will be going into it with a lower earned run average than the great Clayton Kershaw. And also an all-time matchup of two lefties wearing Skechers. So that is my <laughs> stat of the week. I'm yes. not sure. I'm not sure we will. Uh, we, it might be baseball history tomorrow. I think that these will be the two lefties wearing Skechers on the mound with sub three ERAs. Like what? Oh what my could God. Be, that what is could be better note. on the Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon? Uh, Wade Miley has been handing out Skechers to like Pat Murphy was rocking Skechers the other day. Jesse Winker so he, just got some <laughs> slip ons. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, slip ons. Yeah. They have yes. to be slip ons. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, 
I've heard, I've heard, yeah, they're calling them the Slippies. They're calling them the Jerry's for geriatrics. Um, so you can, <laughs> you can pick, you can pick a name, but um, yeah, it's going to be fun. So I think that's all. That's it. We All we got for this, this week of Brewers Unfiltered on that note, talking about Skechers and the Dodgers and the Brewers. <laughs> perfect finish. Yeah. Perfect. Good job. Finish. So. Um, all right. Well, that's all we got. As always, you can follow us and our shenanigans at Dim Tillard, at Adam McCalvey, at Sophia Minner. We hope you're following along with the Brewers on all of their social platforms as well. Thanks for listening in. We'll have more Brewers Unfiltered from St. Louis next week. So thanks for joining us. <laughs>